1: Oh yeah, better late than never, technical issues be damned, we made it, we're here, it's Friday, it is morning combat, the best damn combat sports show ever, brother, alrighty then, Brian Campbell, the BDE, with that BBC, Did I back that up, strike that reverse, Uh, the American Alpha, the guy you're looking at, are we live, hopefully we're live here uh, Internet's dead. I think we've had people just quit the the show in mid uh, in mid screw up there. But your hosts are here, BC hosting on Friday, December third, two thousand and twenty one, with a huge weekend of fights to get you fired the heck up for. But you know what gets me fired up? Normally, a Fendi bag and a bad attitude. That's all I need to get me in a good mood. But anytime I can share a screen with this wonder of MMA analysis fame. I get a little excited. Wow, yes. Live and direct from the nation's capital. It's Luke Thomas.
0: Hi Brian Campbell. That was a tortured intro, but I do those myself, so I can't complain, but it is nice to see you. Dude, we have a monster weekend of fights, do we not? I hope if the internet holds up,
1: hopefully, Luke. Hopefully we'll get there. All right. Thank <laughs> so you, someone's Dave. a little
0: upset about the quality of the internet.
1: <laughs> I just, let me bang. Okay, please. Okay, just let me MK already. Oh uh, yeah, Luke, great fights. A great show we're about to give you. Everything's great right now. You know what else is great, Luke? Are are you checking out what's going on on our morningcombat.store site on this Cyber Monday deal that just won't go away? Have you seen Dude, this shit, it is, Luke?
0: That thing is humming. And by the way, we were told that not like it's not the best seller, but one of our more like noteworthy sellers these days is the underwear with brian and i's stupid faces on it i cannot believe you animals are buying it but you animals are buying it. they're
1: buying a lot of them it's not quite a sellout as the bc hawaiian short but it is moving so right now you can go to morningcombat.store i want to urge you though if you are buying for yourself for your loved ones for your spouse uh ahead of the holidays ahead of the christmas season hanukkah shout out kwanzaa across the board you're going to want to get those orders in now. Really, this coming week is the last time you can put those orders in to make sure with the shipping delays that you can get them by Christmas morning or whatever you celebrate. I mean I can't guarantee Hanukkah, isn't it? Isn't Hanukkah already going on? I don't know. I'm out of the loop culturally. But you get what I'm saying right here. And Luke, you want to spend 100 bucks? How about 10% off? Okay, 150 gets you 15. You drop two bills, you can even get 20% off. We got a code there live10. Do it right now during the show. Uh, there is a new holiday line that I think will blow you away if you haven't seen it. So thank you for supporting us. Hopefully, Santa Claus can put a little bit of that under your tree as well. Uh, Luke, obviously, people come here for us, but if they want a little bit more from our parent company, uh, CBS, you can get a little Showtime for free for 30 days. And why wouldn't you? you got a must-see Bellator Bantamweight title bout tonight, Bellator 272 from the Mohegan Sun. You can only watch that on Showtime in the States. Go to Showtime.com now. Get your 30-day free trial. Championship boxing, great documentaries, billions up the ass. It's it's really a great time to be alive. So check that ish out right there. By the way, also,
0: somebody told me as well that, like, uh, if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can get Showtime through that right now with a reduced price. So if that's what you're looking for, like a deal, ultimately what you're going to spend on Showtime, and you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, go check that out.
1: Yeah, please check that stuff out indeed. I want to get through this as quick as I can to get us into the fights. But Luke, uh, Friday is fan sub or Friday, I'm sorry, is dead wrong. Wednesday is fan subs, but we got a little bonus fan sub right now coming at us from uh who's the fella gaff that set this in? What's the guy's name? Dante Dante, Hansel, Gretel, one of those three. Nothing? All right. I don't know if look, we may be the only ones working right now on the show. I don't. I, I don't know if anybody else is with us right now. But uh, oh, there we go. Oh, there Let's zoom is. in on this thing. Here we go from Mateo with one T. Thank you very much. Luke, you see this?
0: I can't read it because yeah, it's we, too can small.
1: We, can we zoom in, please?
0: There you go. Yeah, Caesar Sportsbook have it as a virtual pick'em, so this fight could go either way. Yeah, it's a great fight. Let me see what our friends over.
1: <laughs> you know, that's only every episode. Look, but that's fine. Uh, we, we enjoy each other's company. Just Listen,
0: Caesar Sportsbook gets two plugs every time, or it's your ass. You understand that? Exactly. All right,
1: I'm not. I, I, don't, I don't have any ad reads, but big ads coming. A lot of people. Oh, what happened to DraftKings? Wait and see. Wait and see what happened to DraftKings. Okay. Oh, yeah. Big news coming in the future for Morning Combat, and as always with this show, if you're coming on, right? Come on already. All right, let's do it, Luke. Uh, this weekend loaded. We got UFC, we got Bellator, we've got big time boxing, and Sunday night, not Saturday. Sunday night, Staples Center, Los Angeles. Showtime pay-per-view is the home for the one. Gervonta Tank Davis. He's won titles in three way classes. He's back at 1-3-5 against a late replacement. We know it's not going to be Rollo Romero, but as we established this week on the show, Isak Cruz from Mexico. He's coming on. The pit bull is ready. Luke, Gervonta, Isak Cruz. When I see that, I see fireworks. I see potential for a back-and-forth fight, yet the odds makers firmly still have Gervonta ranked number 10 pound-for-pound pound, in boxing on CBS Sports right now as a massive favorite, plus, I'm sorry, minus 1,200 for Tank, plus 750 for Esoc Cruz. Uh, to sort of kick off the X's and O's look at it, I feel like it's a best, much better matchup than those odds are telling you.
0: Oh, there's just no denying I think it's a better matchup. You know, we we liked what Rolando Romero brought prior to all the allegations, obviously, around him. But as a boxer, right, as an opponent for Tank Davis, we like what he brought because, uh, you know, he has a lot of gumption. For better or for worse, he has a lot of gumption. He does have legitimate power, but he didn't – he was reckless. I mean, he is reckless. He takes a lot of unnecessary risks, and you think, well – that makes him a little bit dangerous because if he lands with big power and you know in a place he isn't traditionally supposed to, because of all of the uh, risks he takes, that could be interesting. On the other hand, he was probably going to get viciously KO'd. In fact, I thought he was going to get viciously KO'd. And it, a guy like Isak Cruz is just totally different. Um, he is smaller. He is more compact. He takes risks as well, BC, but within the kind of skill set and stature that he brings into the fight. In fact, in this fight, believe it or not, as small as. Tank Davis is in terms of, you know, professional athlete standards anyway. He's still two inches taller than Cruz, more or less not that big a factor. But he does have a five-inch reach advantage. And I really, really kind of wonder what role that's going to play because, you know, Cruz doesn't... The game plan doesn't change a whole lot fight over fight, right? I mean, he's in your face. He's crouching low. If you go high, he hits you with the overhands I mentioned. He does some decent body work. He's got good uppercuts. He likes to press opponents back into the ropes. This is going to be a test. I mean, I'm not saying it's the same as Leo Santa Cruz. It's not. Leo is a household name. He's rangy himself. And what the fuck? Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I had an exorcism live on air. I think the universe live is trying on air. to tell us. Yeah, I had an exorcism live on air. Hang on, I fixed yeah, it. Yeah, the it. universe is
1: talking to us. The, uh,
0: the, the, point being, but, the point being is this, BC, I'll, I'll wrap up on this, which is to say this is going to be a test of Tank Davis. A, you got an opponent on somewhat of late notice. And B, dude, you got to get this guy off of you. Now, you saw against Cruz, he was able to turn him into the ropes and be a little bit of the bully himself. But Cruz is uh, going to, you know, he's going to, he's going to welcome that. So to me, it's like... You're going to have to have a game where you're anticipating this pressure and what you do with it, but you can't let that be the whole fight. Like Stephen Fulton, obviously against Brandon Figueroa last weekend, he got away with one, but that was a really hard fight to judge, and it was kind of close, and I'm not saying this is the same fight. I'm just saying you don't want to fight completely on Cruz's terms. Sometimes you're going to have to, but I want to see, this is what I want to see from Tank Davis, BC, and I wonder if you agree. I want to see Tank Davis play the levels sometimes you're going to have to inside fight I want to see it sometimes you're going to have to outside fight I want to see it I think late in the fight he's going to have to step on it I want to see that too I want to see a guy who's supposed to be the better boxer show that to me
1: yeah absolutely and I'm fully expecting by the way fan man to fly into your office right now anything can happen on <laughs> morning combat right here where's Galata? Look, yeah please uh look Esau Cruz if you don't know as Luke sort of mentioned he fights in sort of that that you know Mike Tyson low crouch style, coming in low in order to get inside. He's gonna have a big reach disadvantage, as Luke said. But what Esau Cruz does well, go to the body, rough you up, make it more of a fight than a boxing match. And for as unorthodox as he can be with the angles and the in some of the variety of, of combinations and hooks that he throws, they're very effective. So without question, he's gotta get inside. We know he's gonna push the pace. There is that potential if he's successful at pushing the pace and getting inside, at slowing Gervonta down to the body and really outworking him. And I think if you're Isak Cruz, look, you're going to go in there going for the knockout because that's your style. But Gervonta's shown a very good chin up to this point, and you're going to try to outwork him each round should this end up having a chance at going the distance. Ultimately, though, Luke, why the odds are so wide is because Gervonta's just that good. He's 25-0 with 24 KOs. That's 96%. You only got to go the distance with him with some journeyman in like a six-round fight seven years ago. So Gervonta catches up with you with that power, whether he's the smaller man as he was against Mario Barrios or he's the bigger guy in this point. I think this has the potential to be uh, a true reckoning for Cruz, though, Luke. If he doesn't, obviously got to be careful when you're going to rush a puncher like Gervonta. But with the reach disadvantage and with the fact that Gervonta's outpunch really is that uppercut, Cruz is going to have to be smart at how he tries to duck in to get inside and the timing of it. He's going to have to punch his way in at times because that knockout could be tailor-made. And that's what Gervante has said this week at the press conference and in most of the media events. And, look, he respects Cruz's aggression, taking the fight at last minute, you know, no stone unturned. Cruz is focused 100% on cardio this camp, by the way, knowing this opportunity that he's going to have to bring it. But Davis believes, you know, he, it's a style that's tailor-made for him, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. But so some of the questions we had earlier this week, yes, um, Coach, uh, yes, Calvin Ford is still in the corner, but they did bring in Barry Hunter, so you got two genius minds in there. I like what both coaches said at the press conference, essentially saying, okay, you know, we might, we might be more skilled than Cruz, but this guy's way more dangerous than Romero. He's going to come to win. He's going to cut angles. He's going to do some things. Luke, if he can't get inside on Davis, it it, it could be over before the midpoint.
0: Yeah, it, it, he's in trouble. I mean, as we mentioned, he gets so low, his opponents sometimes try to match that, and then he hits them with uppercuts, and then when they go up, he hits them over the top. He's very, very good at playing the levels game in boxing. I'll say this, though, for Cruz. I mean, you're right. If he can't get inside, dude, like Davis is going to just eat him alive. But what could be kind of interesting is we're seeing some of these – like. I'm not saying Tank is on the Crawford and Canelo pound for pound discussion in I mean I know he's on the list but not there's a gap between them and where they are on that list. But we are seeing some of these a a uh, a-side guys, right, who are, you know, in that pound for pound discussion kind of give rounds away yeah. hoping to like just let the fight accumulate in their direction like a frog boiling in the pot. Dude, it is entirely feasible to me that he you could see rounds where Davis is kind of hanging back, maybe with his back on the ropes, B.C., where he is kind of fielding things, looking for that big shot, and then the round kind of gets away from him. Maybe Davis doesn't take a beating or anything, but he loses on the cards. Like I'm imagining a scenario if it goes to the 7th, 8th, or ninth, It is conceivable to me, very conceivable to me, Cruz could potentially be up on the cards if Davis isn't locked in on the right game plan and exercising it in a disciplined kind of way. I could see him kind of punting a few rounds, waiting for the big shot, and that could be a problem because Cruz can be hit, but his chin seems sturdy, dude. He seems quite durable, so if you're waiting for one or two big shots to land, Davis has fight-changing power, no doubt about it. He's the dominant puncher in this weight class period, It could get interesting, depending on what style he likes to play here. Cruz is a one-note kind of guy, so the onus is on Davis to figure out what to do about it. And if he gets a little bit lazy or a little bit one-note himself, honestly, the scores could be all over the place. Yeah, if he gets
1: a little too selective is really what you're saying. If Cruz does a better job than we assume he will at at covering up behind his guard and being hard to hit despite being in front of you. And look, sometimes if you crowd a guy and you close distance You don't give him the room to get leverage. And although Gervonta very adept at catching you coming in with the uppercut, if there's any part of his offensive game that we haven't seen over a long stretch, because let's be honest, you come at him, he tends to get you out of there. But if Cruz has a plus chin, we haven't seen Gervonta really have to hold and fight and fight dirty on the inside. This could be a good test of that. A lot of things you mentioned of how Cruz could have a chance to be up on the scorecards are potentially in play. I think the the biggest problem, though, in the end is if this was the Gervonta Davis from two, three years ago. And I'm not saying he has cleaned up his life to a level where we're talking about a model citizen. I mean, we are very honest about Gervonta, a sublime talent who I don't think gets the full pound for pound recognition. But as a person, he's had some some bad issues. There's no question about that. But if this was two or three years ago, I think that was still a Gervonta that was maybe partying a little too much, believing in the hype a little bit too much. You saw him lose the title on the scales in the Maymac co in 2017. I think we have seen a guy much more dialed in. It comes across in his interviews. He says he's quit drinking for the most part, which he says has been 100% the reason why he no longer has trouble making this weight. We saw him make 130 against Leo Santa Cruz without issue when before that he had had issue making any weight, right? We looked at Gervonta mm-hmm. as a guy who was – kind of puffed up a little bit, meaning he was he was a little bit chubbier than he needed to be at times. He says he's curtailed that personal life to at least focus on the craft. It hasn't freed him completely of legal troubles, but it has made him a dynamic, well-rounded fighter who can box just as well as he can bang. So, Luke, as we get into the prediction here, I'll, I'll tell you what the, the guarantee is for me, at least from a prediction standpoint, is you're going to see fireworks. This will be worth your time 100% because Cruz gets After it, and for him to have a chance to win, he has to go to that danger zone and make this a fight. Inevitably, when you do that with a puncher of Gervantes' level and somebody with the skill to execute creative shots, you will get hit. If Cruz has a chin that we don't know is possible, he may be able to last. But inevitably, Luke, 24 opponents have tried, right? Except for that one guy, and 24 opponents have ended up being stopped. I'm looking at about a ninth-round knockout from Gervonta, and given the aggressiveness of Cruz, it could end up being spectacular.
0: I'll go round 10. I think it'll take him a little bit longer to set himself Cruz will be an available target, but again, I think a sturdy target. I'll I'll say it one more time, dude. Cruz is not the overall boxer that Gervonta Davis is, but here's what he does have in a certain kind of way that Gervonta doesn't. When the bell rings, he puts his hard hat on, and it's time to go to work, and that is exactly what he does, and he doesn't stop until the referee intervenes or the bell sounds. That has been, in the past, as BC has indicated, sometimes that could be a, a style that has given Gervonta, if not trouble, it hasn't showcased what he brings to boxing in the in the best way so this is a nice test for gervonta not just to win against a very durable and challenging opponent but against the kind that spoke to some of his previous weaknesses that he needs to iron out as he gets older and up the food chain so fun fight i like gervonta to win i think he's gonna have to work for it but i think he gets it around 10.
1: just a reminder this is for the secondary wba title and the reason why this all matters is the lightweight division is on fire right now George Cambosis just upset Teofimo Lopez. He has three of four belts. While we know Devin Haney, the WBC champ, could be the front-runner to getting him if Gervonta Davis goes out here and looks spectacular and then the PBC and Al Heyman and Showtime and company uh, call up Lou DiBella and try to make a big offer, Uh, Gervonta's definitely in play should they want to unify and move forward on that. It'll be fun to watch. Sebastian Fundora, by the way, in the co-main event, is an unbeaten junior middleweight who's six foot seven and lets his hands go. He's fun to watch. And, Luke, our old buddy Sergey Derevinchenko, a very tough middleweight contender, has a good fight against Carlos Adamas on this pay-per-view undercard. So some good matchups there. Look, before we close off of Tank for Good, eh, you didn't have that best interview in that podcast that's been circulating when they <laughs> asked him if he would fight in the octagon one day. I know you wanted to uh, kind of. Yeah. Uh,
0: let's play that. We have the audio here. If you didn't see this, this is this week. He was a full send podcast. They asked him if he wanted to fight MMA. Here's what he said. but we can't who's gonna you, actually people have people have done no it but not recently yeah
1: <laughs> like you can't kick me in the face like nah. can you kick him in the face and you got yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, of of you, can do all yeah. That. you got everything knees elbows yeah you gotta be careful Take you, get that answer. you just have to choose someone that's maybe like not a big wrestler or some shit nah somebody just yeah i gotta fight somebody like in my weight class because i don't think nobody like get me like somebody in my weight getting me down like Penning me, like, I don't, I don't see that. Cause we, used, I, I'm from the hood. Like, the, the, we used to. Uh, if I you'd go into the octagon.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say this, BC. You know, in, in his defense, he is from Baltimore. You know what I'm saying. He had you the know. same
1: understanding of current MMA as, as my dad <laughs> did. Who, who? By the way, my dad and I used to watch. My, my dad's visiting this week. Love him. He used to watch. You know, UFC two, three, four with me on the illegal pay-per-view box back in the nineties. We always watched it together. He still thought when we were talking just recently that MMA was no gloves that you can bite, that. It was just, you know, no weight classes. Gervonta is like, you know, you know, I don't want anybody bigger than me that could take me down and pin me. Well, that's not like really how it works, but yeah, yeah. I, get it. I get
0: it. Dude, you know, you know, what's funny to me is like, uh, you're right. He was like, I got to find someone in my weight class. It's like, that's the law actually. Uh, you ha- you have to, it's, there's no way to really get around that part. Uh, and the best part is, like, how, like, hood wrestling. We, I want someone in UFC to come around and be like, you know how, like, uh, Roy Nelson used to describe himself as, like, a kung fu fighter? Yes. I want someone to come around and be like, I'm a hood wrestler. We, Remember we, when uh, early we, UFC,
1: the, the green car girls would have the discipline up on the car to be like, yeah, this fighter
0: fights in Joe Sando, you know, here we go. Yeah, yeah hood, hood, hood wrestling. I mean, he's from Baltimore, you know. Shouts to Purple Camo Nation. That you know they're a they're a troubled bunch. Like I do
1: want to see, by the way, if this if this run for Javante in terms of like packing arenas continues. He's done it all over the East Coast. He's done it before in in California in the, in the in the tennis theater. Had a lot of celebrity turnout there in Carson, California. Now he's in the big arena at Staples. We'll find out Sunday night once again only on Showtime pay per view. Oh, and all by right, the way, M- we will no.
0: have hold, last thing, last thing, last thing. We will have some special programming for that on Sunday. Not Saturday night. Remember, Javante Davis, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday.
1: Yeah, get that right, please. Okay, Sunday's coming. All right, MMA fans, you know why you're here, and that's to talk Delatorre and UFC. So topic number two, from Las Vegas at the Apex, very interesting, UFC on ESPN 31 fight night card. Who the hell's still calling it, ESPN on, UFC on ESPN 31? If you're still in that, just stop it, okay? It's UFC Vegas. Here we go. Waits in the main event. We hit the storylines this week, and this is a hell Of a great matchup. Red hot 34 year old Rob Font. Representing Massachusetts. Going to step up. Fresh off a nice string of victories. Marais, Garbrandt and the likes. Against the king of Rio. The former featherweight champion Jose Aldo. Luke the betting odds have had this. Very close all week. I believe as we stand right now. Rob Font with Caesar Sportsbook. Minus 140. Jose Aldo plus 120. X's and O's wise, Luke, does this, in Rob Font's chances here in a five-round fight, just his second in his history, does it live and die behind that great jab that he offers?
0: it certainly does the jab uh, there's been a lot of analysts pre-fight have sort of pointed out you know if if rob font can't get the jab going obviously he's got a ton of other abilities but he has developed a game where everything really lives behind that defensively he's able to keep opponents off of him he can set a rhythm behind his jab he's got a lot of other obviously great combinations behind his jab um you know he can he can a pressure behind it he can retreat behind it i mean it's just it is the centerpiece of his offense, which has become, as you see now, now he has the win over Cody Garbrandt, and now he's facing off here against Jose Aldo, um, quite formidable. It is interesting, there was an article, I retweeted it, uh, written by Richard Mann. Richard Mann works for fight metric. He's one of the guys who is behind the team there. And he always looks at some of the inside stats ahead of time, and what he had shared was something pretty interesting, which is when opponents land on Jose Aldo more than five strikes per minute, He's never won. He loses all of those bouts. And when he keeps his opponents under that, he is 20-1. and one. The one that he lost was the Marlon Moraes fight, which a lot of people think he actually won. So you could almost make a case that when they're under 5, he's undefeated. When they're over 5, he can't win. The interesting part about Rob Font is he has a high degree of landing. What does he land per minute? On average, 5.58 strikes per minute. Dude, uh, that's significant strikes anyway. That is exactly the kind of makeup that, at least in theory, could give Jose Aldo some problems. So it's not merely that the jab has to get going, although that certainly is part of it. And they're both orthodox, so you wonder exactly what he might do to shut down the jab there. But in any case, it's the volume. The volume from Rob Font. If you see Rob Font, like a, for example, like one of the ways where he was not able to get off was when he was really retreating under the power of, ...of John Lineker. Now, Rob Font went the distance in that fight because he is a very capable defensive fighter when he needs to be, but the power that came back, the power counter-striking from John Lineker was so overwhelming, it made it hard for Rob Font to get going. Jose Aldo's modus operandi here has got to be to shut down the jab, yes, but to limit what Rob Font can reasonably throw behind it or in overall totality. Because if he can't get that going, Jose Aldo can then start cooking himself. Now, how do you do that? You could do it with the Peter Yan style where he got in southpaw and then the lead hand was shutting down the jab of Aldo and he was going over the top of it and did actually a fair amount of body work in that fight and then that high low inside outside thing kind of gave him a lot of trouble or you can do what Max Holloway did which was of course switching stances but then turning Jose Aldo right kind of always having him in motion he wants to stand there in front of you and not move and then trade counters or shots or combinations because he's got great hand speed he can slip and throw at the same time like he's really really good there so max holloway turned him so he could never quite set in place and actually by the way in b- both fights he turned him this direction one way turned him that direction in the subsequent fight and then put all the different kinds of weapons behind it but you get the idea there's a lot of different ways they could explore this but what you're looking for in this matchup pay attention to the volume of rob font if it's kind of low or you know in the threes or whatever Probably not a fight he can win, but if he's moving and that jab is sticking, Jose Aldo might be in trouble.
1: Rob Font, the last man to defeat current Bellator Bantamweight champion Sergio Pettis, who has a huge fight we'll get into shortly tonight. Uh, Rob Font's been on a run, Luke, and this division is so stacked. It's the deepest in the sport today, globally and within the UFC, and I don't think the winner of this gets a title shot, but this is number four against number five Aldo, so there's no Mm. question that big-time stakes are in play so for me, the key question of what this fight will ultimately answer, and I'm interested to hear your 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 response, is if Rob Font wins, it won't get maybe a title shot because you're going to have to rematch Jan and Sterling. You've got TJ Dillashaw, who's more or less due. Do you think this, though, would answer that question? Is Rob Font truly one of the upper room elites at this weight class? I think people certainly have great respect for his game. That four-fight winning streak that has, been, has been fantastic. But, Luke... I think if you talk to a lot of non-hardcores, they'll go, oh, yeah, I know Rob Font, he's good, but I don't know if he's great. If he beats Jose Aldo for his fifth straight, he's already ranked number four. Whether he's great or not, he's going to be put into into nothing but great matchups moving on. When you look at Rob Font's game, do you see greatness?
0: Well, here's what I can tell you I've seen. I mean, to your point, this would be his... Clearly his toughest test to date and most important fight to date. The Garbrandt one before that served as that role previously, and then he passed that test with flying colors. So here we are now against Aldo. Anybody who watches tape on Rob Font will tell you, even from his earliest days in the UFC, he stood out a little bit. One, because he had a jab at a time when a lot of fighters frankly didn't. He's always been a guy who was jab first, jab heavy and build stuff behind it. That's been a piece in a lot of MMA fighters' games that's been missing. He will stand out for that reason. The other reason he stood out is he has always been very technical. I like watching technical fighters fight, man. I like what they can bring to the game, and even when they're overmatched like he was in the case of Lineker at that time, he kept himself safe. He didn't get run over. He didn't get blown out. He got good experience there. So you've always had – you can't watch tape on Rob Font and not have respect for his coaches, for what he's turned in, and the kind of sort of beautiful technique that he brings to life. But to your point, some of those wins against the key guys were kind of missing up until recently. The reason why the Aldo fight to me is so different than the Garbrandt fight is that, yes, obviously Rob Font is a very, very, very talented guy and has earned this spot, no doubt about it. But beating Cody Garbrandt, who I think now is going down to flyweight and has kind of had some you know mixed results of late, he beat a quality fighter. I don't want to take it away from him, but I think even he and his team would tell you Jose Aldo is another level. Jose Aldo went down to bantamweight and the Marais fight, whatever, throw it out, it doesn't matter. He's beaten everyone basically except who? Like uh, Peter Jan, right? And he gave Jan some trouble. Okay, you can't beat Jan, fine. But dude, he is beating very good bantamweights down there. He is as battle-tested and tried and true as they come. If you beat Jose Aldo cleanly, right, the judges didn't fuck it up or it wasn't a referee issue, like, you just beat him, whatever that means, they cannot take that away from you. They cannot undercut it. They can say what they want, like, you know, Jose's a little bit past it. He is a little bit past it in terms of his peak. He's not past it in terms of beating good elite fighters. He's quite in the thick of it right there. This is a meaningful win in every way. If he gets this one, you cannot deny Rob Font any longer. He will have firmly firmly arrived
1: yeah whether, whether you think his game is truly great or not the results have been great and this would be the biggest one you mentioned
0: let's not talk about jose aldo's
1: outlook and chances in this fight oddsmakers rightfully giving him credit for the experience for that recent run the two wins you mentioned where look i mean he's a destroyer at this weight class i love the way his body is able to cut down and there's no body fed he comes out there looking to land hard and powerful strikes. He's 35, though, but he's got extreme experience going five rounds, which will be needed in this main event if it if it gets that far. Luke, the story on Aldo, you know, the last few years has been if he could be the Jose of old and attack those legs, you know, he's a different type of fighter. How much do you see that as a potential strategy against Font, who who's got some quickness? I don't know if he's faster necessarily than Aldo, but a technical guy, a mover... If Jose can can start chopping away at him, that's got to be a big part of him slowing him down. Because then Jose can be closer and set you up for those combinations, and which is his trademark with the boxing.
0: No doubt about it, dude. Like the leg kicks would be a, a really important thing here. But he has, you know, dropped off a cliff in terms of how he uses them. He's become much more of a boxing heavy fighter himself and people have theorized about it is it strategy is it age is it some kind of injury or you know it just doesn't want to do it anymore probably a combination of all of them but again Richard Mann's article had pointed out I mean they used to be like 21% of his striking offense it's something like less than 9% now there's a lot of ways to take away the jab you can slip off the jab and counter you can leg kick it you can I mean there's different stances from which you can kick inside and outside there's just a lot you can do I don't know if he needs to go to the leg kick in the in, in the most pronounced way which you're talking about like leg kick or or it's all else. I think Jose Aldo's got a lot of ability to to find answers to it, but I would say that like there's a there's a version of this fight where he doesn't do enough of it and maybe cost himself in close rounds. That could be worrisome, but I don't well, think the- he needs to go back to what he did in WEC where it was like one of every five strikes was one of these things.
1: No, that's fair. And by the way, to do that it, it takes a toll That's on your gas tank, and we would seen Jose even in his prime and peak sometimes fade a little bit at the end. We remember the Mark Hominick fifth round. He but faded Luke, against
0: this, Peter Jan, too, in the fourth.
1: Absolutely. The spirit of the question, though, essentially implies, do you think if Aldo tries to point fight Rob Font, it's the wrong fighter to do that, considering where Aldo is in his career, Font's uh, technical ability. I need Jose Aldo, whether it comes from leg kicks or not, to come out early and and, and do damage. And, you know, that sometimes also can tax an older power fighter's gas tank toward the end. Do you think that's going to be all? Those strategy? Because I don't want to see him try to point fight Font. I want to see him say, okay, Rob Font, you've had a good run, but you're not on my level. And I'm going to show you why. I'm coming out. I'm not reckless, but I'm coming out guns blazing.
0: I think what he is probably going to try and do is a smarter more modern version of what Lineker did. Dude, Lineker landed on Rob Font where Rob was like, you know, eyeballs got like saucers. And again, Rob is more experienced and he is certainly, you know, uh, uh, understands the game and has much improved since then. It's not, he's not bringing that version of himself into tomorrow night's fight. But Jose Aldo might be able to pick up on some things where like, dude, has it been shown that big power can deter Rob Font in fights? Yes, it has. In this weight class, no doubt about it. And you got a guy like Jose Alda, who I don't know if he's like a big power puncher, but he has certainly got the ability to have, you know, fight changing strikes land with regularity in the course of his career, uh, whether they're leg kicks. By the way, don't forget. What's one part of Jose Aldo's offense that is incredible? Body shots, liver shots. He is a vicious body puncher. I think that's going to be a huge part of how he deters some of Rob Font uh, and the jab and everything. So, yeah, for sure, dude. I think it's going to be, you know, Rob is probably going to be content. I don't know. But, like, if he has to point fight his way to five rounds, I think Rob is willing to do that. Uh, I don't think Jose, to your point, is as willing to do that. I think he wants to get in there and kind of physically put it on Rob in a way where right. Rob becomes less of who he was before.
1: Well, I love Bantamweight Aldo. I mean, I feel like, it, okay, it's not like he, he was never this guy. He was always been super aggressive and goes after it. But I feel like since the Holloway knockout losses, he's been more of a, I'm going to go out there and, and let it go. And that happens to a great fighter when their you know, reflexes slow a little bit and the speed slows with age. But the recent win streak shows you that he's still pretty damn near elite at this point. Luke, I love this matchup because head-to-head, when I look at it, I think Aldo's the, certainly the more experienced fighter. I still think skill-wise he's the better fighter, but you've got Font who's sort of the faster riser and the fresher fighter at the moment. What 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 is that going to lead? What will be the results? I still think this is Aldo's fight to win. I still love the plus money on the veteran. If you look at the recent level of the quality of fighters that Aldo has beat, I still think Rob Font fits into that category. I like Jose Aldo here, Luke. Do you think him taking it to the ground and trying to wrestle something we don't always see a ton of could be part of the strategy at
0: all? From Aldo? Yes. From Font, maybe. Font uh, goes for um, about one and a half takedowns per 15 minutes. Actually, excuse me, secures one and a half takedowns per 15 minutes. Uh, typically, I, you know, getting Jose Aldo down is hard, but I actually feel like if I'm Rob Font, especially if the jab is having a bit, little bit of issue, or even if it's cooking, actually, you could go either way. But the point being is to bring some dynamism to the game, is to get Jose Aldo thinking about the takedown, about what might happen if he gets too close, and blah 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 blah. Because remember, takedown distance is jab distance, not always, but in general, that's the way you want to be able to reach out and touch someone. That's the that's the distance you want to be when you take someone down. So yeah. I would expect some level of that to be incorporated, but as you know, dude, Jose Aldo. I mean, we've known this since Gray Maynard went down there to Nova União years ago. And was like, holy shit, this guy's takedown defense is next fucking level. He's got some of the best hand fighting, by the way, in the division. Um, and uh, and grip breaking. Have you guys ever noticed when fighters get behind Jose Aldo and they wrap up either with a gable grip or a, a, a S grip or a C grip, whatever you want to call it. He's very good about breaking that apart and getting away. It's really, really hard to get a tight waist around Jose Aldo and then let that ride. Um, he's so gifted. So I do think you should incorporate that to keep him off balance. But you can't, you can't bank on a game plan where you're like, oh, I'm just going to take down Jose Aldo and get on top. Well, yeah, good luck with that shit.
1: I was talking more about Aldo being more offensive with his wrestling, which he, he, he isn't often Luke. i'd love no. to see him implement more top game now look again you're you're taxing an older man's gas tank who is already cutting down to a weight that i didn't even think he could ever make but i think he could be more a little bit more strategic in that you don't see it as a possibility that's fine but luke i see it as a possibility for aldo to win this fight i think he does have to stop rob Fott. and i think when we get into those later rounds he will Luke. okay you heard it right here
0: what round? Do you think championship rounds? First three rounds seems a little bit early to me.
1: Yeah, I like, the, I like about the fourth round. I think he's going to be able to go to the body, and that's going to slow him down and, and, and hurt him. And then, look, every great fighter can sometimes have a last stand. I don't think we're at the last standpoint yet, but if you told me you saw the future and this was Jose Aldo's last great win against a prime fighter in the moment, I might be able to believe you. Yeah, I think Aldo's got enough here.
0: Yeah, well, let's turn the tables. I think you bring up a great point that we didn't discuss. We're all like, oh, if Rob Font beats Jose, it's such a great win. That's true. Dude, I'm going to say the reverse. If Jose Aldo gets a win over Rob Font, even if he's somewhat expected to by the oddsmakers, to me, that's a super quality win. It, de- it doesn't change my opinion about whether he could beat you know Jan or whoever the eventual champion might end up being. I still think he's a little bit outside of that. But, dude, you know, you want to tread water and you beat a guy like Rob Font, especially if you stop a guy like, dude, John Lineker couldn't stop Rob Font. Jose Aldo does it. That would be super impressive.
1: Jose is in such a beloved portion of his career. The crowd would go sick. I know it's Vegas. It's the apex. But the people will be getting fired up, Luke. um, Shaq Majori on Monday, he, he let out something. He was like, hey, what if Aldo wins this and we make Aldo Dillashaw? Probably not likely given that TJ seems to be in the bullpen for a title shot, but let's say the injury lasts a little bit longer and TJ gets skipped over. Could you imagine how great that, I mean, you could still make that fight if Aldo loses and we don't know what's going to happen with TJ moving forward, but I love me some, some old veterans matching up who still have something to give. Luke.
0: I thought that was the fight to make when he wanted to come back and they ended up with the, the Corey Sandhagen fight. I think Dillashaw versus Aldo is like, I mean, that's just mana from heaven. I can't wait to see that if they make it. So I'd be all in favor, but to your point, You know, with the title implications, who the hell knows. And also the timing with his injuries and shit.
1: Well, I want to ask you who you think the winner of this fight gets. I mean, it's number four versus number five. But you do have some big matchups in the division next week at UFC 269 when not only uh, Sean O'Malley returns, but uh, Cody Garbrandt... I'm sorry, Garbrandt moved on to flyweight. But you got Pedro Munoz, number eight, against Dominic Cruz, number 10. You've still got Mirab Davashili... Uh, I butchered the name at number six. Could that be the the guy who's the winner? It could
0: be. Yeah, first. I mean, if I'm Sandhagen, I, I, I you know, th- he has to ask himself a question here about like what he wants to do to get to the top. If I'm him, I'm actually going to take a step back and take someone outside the top five just to sort of work on some things, and then work my way back up. Because you could say the winner of this uh, Aldo Font fight gets um, Sandhagen. I think that actually would make a lot of sense for where they rank in the division. But I. I don't. I don't know exactly what Sandhagen and his team have cooking on this one. Um, so I guess we'll have to see. I, I don't. Well, I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll
1: talk more about it next week about Sugar Sean. And I know he's been taking a certain level of matchups consistently because he feels like if I'm only going to get paid a certain amount, why take the risk? But you know, one of these days, Luke, after he splatters another guy, his star power and, and celebrity could could push him into a very, very big fight. I mean, eventually, we got to put O'Malley in there and find out who he really is. Correct.
0: Yes, but that, there's so many factors that go into that, including his contract. That's really hard to know when that eventual push might get made. But there's no doubt, like he is, he is. We thought it was the Chito Vera fight, and then he lost it. But he's due for a reckoning up the food chain.
1: Absolutely, a referendum, if you will. Also on this card, Luke, we've talked it up. How fired the hell up we are! Very slight favorite, Brad Riddell of CKB fame, in there against Rafael Fiziev of the Kazakhstan nation. And Luke, uh, this is a, a virtual pick We love the styles. We love the potential for action. They know a great deal about each other. What ultimately is the difference between these two when they touch gloves on Saturday night?
0: Uh, output. Output. Fazayev has a much higher output and is much more willing to take one to give one. That's not to say he has bad defense. There were, If you go back, for example, and watch the Jan versus Aldo fight, there are clearly scenarios, not all the time, but there were a couple of scenarios where Jan was willing to take a punch in a certain context because then it opened up a three- or four-punch combination to him, but he was eating one, and that goes to some of the stats against him. Dude, Fazayev is just much more active about trading, much more active about kind of receiving in the pocket, depending on what he's trying to do. A guy like Rudell is a little bit more careful, a little bit more judicious, I think, with his offense, although he'll throw in combination as well. It's not like he has a low output. But I think what I'm paying attention to here, it's hard to know exactly how they're going to match up in an MMA context with the kickboxing and if one of them might go for the wrestling or, or that part. I never really know exactly what to say. But what I do think is the hurried pace of a guy like Fazayev. If you see Riddell trying to play catch up to that, that could be a problem. Conversely, if you see Riddell slowing the fight down a little bit where Fazayev is sort of stuck, you know, because Fazayev going to be a rhythm guy, right? He's going to be this sort of high energy guy. You got to take that away from him by hook or by crook. That is sort of what you're looking for here. Whose style of offense is defining the complexion of the exchanges? The more judicious Riddell, the more active Fazile. That to me is the central tension here.
1: Well, look, Riddell's great, and I, you know, I want I want to see him get the chance to to leap into this top ten and and take the big matchups and find out who he is. We just saw that though in his last fight. You just saw the pictures there against Drew Dober. It was. The kind of fight that sounded like the one you're describing Saturdays will be high-paced. Dober went after it. He had moments. Ultimately, Riddell wins by unanimous decision. How much better do you think Fizayev is than Drew Dober, and what will that, you know, mean for what type of fight we're going to see?
0: As a striker, I think he's probably much better, um, but... You know, I don't know how relevant that is. I mean, here's a big difference between them. If for per 15 minutes, Brad Riddell secures two takedowns per 15 minutes. Now, a couple of those times he got takedowns, it's because he got rocked, like against or I think Mustafaev as well. But he also won both of those fights in the end because he had that other gear to go to. Maybe Fazayev rocks him, but Brad Riddell finds a way to take it to the mat and hold him down there. And so you end up getting a scenario like that. It's, it's, it's really, it's kind of hard to say exactly. Um, You know, in direct answer to your question, but I guess what I would sort of point out is there are a few different gears that a guy like Riddell has to go to that I'm not saying Fazayev doesn't, but he hasn't shown it, at least by choice or whatever. And so I'm looking to see Riddell not only slow down the striking a little bit, but I'm looking to see him change the uh the places where this fight is contested along the fence line down on the mat that kind of a thing because he it, this is not a kickboxing contest it is an MMA fight and he is to me at least in terms of MMA I would say Riddell is actually more well-rounded
1: these odds are changing as I speak I mean they were both in the minus which is basically a pick 'em with Fizyev just a slight more in there, and it's changed since then. Now Caesar Sportsbook has plus 110 Riddell, minus 130 Fizyev. You see how competitive we expect this. Luke, at the end of the day, though, do you have a CKB or not when the winner is announced?
0: Um, I don't know. I haven't looked at the odds. I think we said you had talked about, and they had changed. Either way, they were close. I'll go Riddell. I think Fazayev is probably going to give him problems on the feet. And I also think that Fazayev is probably the faster athlete of the two, by the way. I think he's a little bit more explosive, a little bit more nimble between them. But I do think that Riddell is a little bit more well-rounded if he plays to those strengths this is a very winnable fight for him,
1: Luke. Why, after I read you the odds and how they changed, would you respond with "I don't know"? I haven't seen the odds. Like what? Because I'm, just, what? I'm
0: trying to th- I'm trying to read these numbers and prepare my answer. I can't hang on every word. All right, that I, mean, you I was just trying to have
1: a, a two-way conversation with my editorial spouse. You know, I mean, I'm just really just you know. Trying I know, I'm, try, I'm, trying,
0: I'm trying to ready my answer to make sure I don't fuck that part up. I apologize. You don't have but... that up at all,
1: because people know I don't bring anything to the table. They're here for you. <laughs> Luke, when you look up and down this great card, do you have any uh, predictions to make? What? What? Give me a lock. Give me a Luke Thomas lock Oof. on this card.
0: A lock. Now, that is tough. Uh, a lock. Wow. I mean, beyond,
1: beyond Cheyenne Vlismas, you know, uh, sounds like she did break free, Luke, okay?
0: She did. She, I, her, yeah, Vlissmas. Uh I don't know what the origin of that is. A lock on this one. I don't know. Um, you know what? I'll probably, this will probably blow up in my face. But I am a big believer in Brendan Allen. I think he's a very talented guy. I think Chris Curtis is too, but i I've taking this fight in pretty quick succession. I like Brendan Allen here. I think he's very well-rounded, very technical, very well-trained. I like I like him here a lot.
1: Luke, we haven't seen the best of Jimmy Crute yet. Still just twenty five no, years old, um, this could be a good matchup for him uh, against Jamal Hill to to put that back together. He comes in as a slight favorite, but he is coming off the TKO loss to Anthony Smith. Are you high on this man at all?
0: Yes, but those some of those setbacks have shown that there's a lot of room left to go. Um, he, clearly, he's big. He's got big power. Um, I think he's I think he's uh, respectably well rounded, but. There's been some defensive issues to, to iron out, um, and against Jamal Hill, he's going to need him to be ironed out because that guy can thump and he's quick. So, yeah, I do. I, listen, all these guys have certain moments where you're like, "Wow, they're really talented." It's 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 the it's the overall auditing that happens over time where you're like, eh, "Still some things to work on." I think Crute's defense needs needs to be tightened up.
1: The last minute main card edition is welterweights Brian Barbarina against Darian Weeks. Barbarina's lost three of four, Luke, but he is. Must see TV every time out. Old Bam Bam himself. Okay.
0: Uh, yes, I think he's half Colombian, by the way.
1: Oh wow, that's you know, okay, that might explain his toughness, Luke, and and willing to get after it if you, you know.
0: It certainly might.
1: A, that wasn't that wasn't suggestive or or stereotypic at all. That was me No, you.
0: stereotypic.
1: I you know I don't want to say racist. It's not racist, Luke. You know?
0: It's a little it's racist, racist, but that's okay.
1: You know who my favorite Colombian person is of all time, Luke.
0: Uh, your... i'm going to guess you're gonna make some drug dealer joke
1: no i don't do that anymore since you told me how much it hurts your family um edison miranda remember that boxing light heavyweight oh slugger?
0: yeah that was yeah great. yeah yeah wait who was the guy that beat Khan? britis prescott yes yes, yes. one punch
1: damir Khan. Yes. he was also yeah. Colombian. yeah yeah i love that guy all right luke uh ufc is saturday but tonight 10 p.m eastern is your main card only on showtime guys if you i mean if you if you already know, you know, but if you're somehow a casual here, this is a world-class main event for the Bantamweight World Title. Bellator 72 going down in Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun. Sergio Pettis, your new Bellator Bantamweight champion, but he will be the betting underdog at plus 140 when he welcomes back to the Bellator cage Kyoji Horiguchi, a minus 160 favorite. Luke, for anyone that was sleeping... Uh, Horiguchi's been off for a year with a knee injury, but he beat Darren Caldwell in those back-to-back fights, one in Bellator, one in Ryzen to win the, the, the Bantamweight title for Bellator. He lost to, uh, Kai Asakura, but avenged it by knockout to win the Ryzen title. Apparently I mispronounced R- Risen Ryzen all the time. and People are very upset at me, Luke. I'm sorry about that. Um, Luke, we love this matchup. We went over the storylines. You and I did weigh-in coverage for CBS Sports HQ. We got a chance to talk to Sergio Pettis. He told me about the, the mindset change on his four-fight win streak. Um, the old guy is gone. He's no longer Showtime's little bro. He is a full-fledged, complete elite fighter. But good Lord, Horiguchi is great, Luke. I mean, it, it's just, there, there's nothing better in this ma- than to see a matchup this good, to see Pettis come out and say, I'm the champion, but I'm not the real champion, unless I beat the guy who never lost it in the Bellator cage. We go to X's and O's on Fridays. What should we look for in this fantastic pairing?
0: I think in, in certain ways, you know, obviously Juan Archuleta and Kyoji Horiguchi are wildly different opponents. But one thing that they might have in common, might, we'll have to see what game plan he employs, is that he was going to be, both guys are going to float on the outside and then make either these blitzes or these like brief charges um, into the pocket to strike. Uh, but the difference is that a guy like Archuleta is gonna do that off like wrestling feints and he's gonna be box heavy, uh, boxing heavy in MMA to get to that. A guy like Horiguchi is gonna be much more judicious with that, he's gonna be able to bounce in and out of pocket versus like, I'm out, I'm in, and I'm gone. He's gonna be able to play with that a little bit. And so, while it's good to have an opponent who was on the outside who you had to learn how to corner and then anticipate some some of the, the movement towards you to react to, Kyoji Horiguchi is just gonna be a lot different. I think the Kai Asakura fights tell us a lot. Why did he lose the first time? He got overconfident and charged right in and didn't really set up his entries very well and got timed over the top off of his jab. It was you could just see it coming. He Kai just waited for him, popped him and then closed the show from there. In the rematch, what you saw was something very different. Horiguchi playing very much on the outside, tons of feints, tons of fakes, tons of turning, and then going for that outside low calf kick, and it was devastating. Kaya Sakura couldn't stand after maybe four or five of them. He was in deep trouble, and then by that point, he was so hobbled, he got hit with a big shot, and, and then, uh, uh, you know, obviously Horiguchi finished him off from there. So what I'm expecting here is, again, Sergio Pettis kind of stalking I'm expecting Horiguchi to work from the outside, but I think Horiguchi is going to be much more careful maintaining distance, learning to strike at the furthest away range as possible, the safest one, and then slowly getting closer and closer as he begins to figure out some of the nuances and the responses that Sergio Pettis shows him, which means there might be some slow moments of the fight, but I think it will heat up over the course of time. A guy like Horiguchi who is so nimble so fast he has to be very careful about making sure he stays far enough away to stay out of big problems because a guy like Sergio Pettis dude he can his ability to time people between beats is incredible it's very very good in fact that's how he got his only stoppage win inside Bellator against the Armenian guy whose name I forget. Um, but this is you're what about I'm expecting. I'm ex- Carhanian, is
1: that who you're talking about?
0: No, no, about? it's a 145 fighter. It's a different guy. I forget his name. Um, it was the debut, I think, uh, in Bellator for Pettis, and he won in vicious fashion. Yeah, Alfred
1: Cash Ka- Ka- Yeah, that guy. That guy. Yeah,
0: that guy. He yeah, caught that him right, he caught him right between punches. It was incredible. But so, and that so that, him that's what, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a guy like Horoguchi on the outside, pot shotting at first, and then slowly getting warmer as the fight heats up.
1: Look, the major difference between these guys might be power, the the finishing power of Horiguchi, the the physical strength. It's hard to body this guy. He's so well-rounded and so smart at the end of the day. But, look, we saw Pettis use Archuleta's aggressiveness sort of against him, waiting for him to come in, disrupting his rhythm, as you said, but really just landing clean counter shots and and kind of making him look a little bit one-dimensional. In that regard, he kind of waited back. Who do you think becomes the aggressor early on in this fight?
0: Pettis. I think Pettis will look to counter-strike, but I I think he's going to look to elicit a response. Do Horiguchi got into trouble when he became like the pressure-you-backwards kind of fighter, especially a guy like Sergio Pettis, who's clinical, has good timing, can slip punches. You can't just run into him. I expect it's actually going to be Pettis who's looking to pressure and then elicit some kind of response from Horiguchi and then counter that. Horiguchi's challenge is going to be obviously getting out of the way of whatever potential counter is thrown from, from Pettis
1: uh do you see wrestling playing a factor in this main event?
0: yes I do I think Pettis has very underrated wrestling again it's the Rob Font thing even if you don't get the takedown if if Horiguchi has to worry about it and think about it and he has to make decisions about how to get around it that's going to change the equation a little bit I think Horiguchi you know obviously Darian Caldwell was able to get him down for big portions of however long both fights lasted um but you know, Pettis is not Darian Caldwell and isn't going to pursue a game plan like that. But I think, again, off-balancing people, getting them thinking high-low, that stuff can be quite beneficial. So I'm not expecting a wrestling-heavy fight, but I'm expecting a dynamic setup process from Sergio Pettis as the fight wears on.
1: Luke, when you look at what they both accomplished, and look, you know, maybe the experience edge goes to Horaguchi, and let's not forget, he was 7-1 in the UFC, 9-1 and in in uh rising but yet pettis i mean he's got wins over you know joe benavides over a, an early pre-champion brandon moreno i mean he's no slouch himself would you say though that given the stakes and given where both of them are at th- th- their careers now that whoever wins will have scored the the biggest most impressive win of their career
0: for sergio pettis yes yes For Kyoji Horiguchi, that's a different one. Um, Because here's the thing. Uh, uh, Single, okay, as a single best win, maybe, I guess what I just wanted to point out is I put the two Darian Caldwell wins together as like such an impressive feat. You know what I mean? I really thought that was extremely impressive the way he did that. But as a singular one win... Yeah, it might actually be. This might actually be mutually their toughest test. That's a little bit debatable, but definitely true in the case of Sergio, and I would argue, yeah, probably in the case of of Kyoji Horiguchi as well.
1: Luke, you and I have uh, already gone public on CBS Sports HQ. We both like the former champ to get back in there and reclaim his belt. We also both believe it goes the distance, and it's a decision win for Horiguchi. But if you're Sergio Pettis, how do you change that, Luke? We don't look at him as a big finisher. Can he come out and now look, and now look let's, let's hold it out. We don't know what's going to happen. Is Horiguchi the same fighter after the knee injury? He's young enough. He probably will be. Okay, I expect a great Horiguchi. If you're Sergio Pettis, though. Can you raise your game to an even higher level through movement, through strategy? What can he do to, to pull the upset here, although the odds are very close?
0: Imagine a scenario like Jan versus Aldo. And for folks who may not remember, Jan is a, is a switch hitter, but Aldo is an orthodox, so he's this way. Jan decided somewhere, I think around the second round or so, certainly the third on, to go southpaw. He switched a little bit, but he stayed in southpaw, and it shut down the jab of Jose Aldo and a few other things. But the real key insight to me was he was able to crowd Jose Aldo, which is also one of the reasons why Aldo couldn't get off as many leg kicks probably in that fight as he wanted to. Sergio Pettis sometimes in fights has ability to corner fighters, but he hovers. He doesn't really get into that tight window where he can force dramatic action, hold the jab if you are you know opposite stances, and then go to the body with your cross or whatever you may do. He kind of hovers a little bit further away. What he needs to do this time is similar kind of approach, except he needs to get in close. you got to if Dude, just think about it rationally. If Kyoji Horiguchi has room to move, and he has room to blitz, and he has room to evade, how are you going to beat him? It is possible certainly. That's going to be fucking hard. You got to you got to take that away from him. You have to crowd him. You have to make him feel like he is trapped in a phone booth and you have to give him a series of bad choices to make upon which you know how to act thereafter. If Koji Horaguchi can move, he can win. Simple as that.
1: Does it matter at all that Horaguchi has been in a cage what? Just one time in the last 10 fights? That doesn't matter,
0: right? It's not great. <laughs> It's not great, but he's not some inexperienced guy, right? Like Kyoji Horiguchi has thirty-two pro fights. 32 I know mean, I mean, he had a great run fight. in the UFC.
1: He's no stranger to a cage. I'm just looking at potential yeah. X factors.
0: You know? Yeah, I think again, and then the injury to his knee as well. I think these are all, to your point, these are great questions to ask. Definitely things to pay attention to. And by the way, I know there's a lot of folks who kind of think, okay, I respect Sergio Pettis, but this is Horiguchi going to win, and it's just you know whatever one year out the other, and they're not necessarily paying as much attention to this as they should be. Dude, a Sergio Pettis win here should not be surprising if it happens. I don't think it's the likeliest outcome, but it should hardly be surprising. This dude is 28, dude. He's 28. He is good. He is very good. So um, there are some X factors in play, and maybe the knee will be an issue. Maybe, you know, who knows? There are A few factors, but um, it is close enough where if he has a little bit of rust and a little bit of knee issues... That could make all the difference by the time you hit the championship rounds. It, it, yeah, this is a I come fun out fight.
1: And just kick him right in the knee, Luke. Just be like, okay, now we're fighting.
0: Right? Just That's stomp that shit.
1: Uh, we've known SP for, he turned pro 10 years ago. We've known him for most of that because he came to the UFC very early in his brother's shadow. We, the narrative when he beat Archuleta rightfully was, you know, he's out of that shadow. He has really found out how to be great, and I give him all that credit. Do you think he can eclipse his brother's legacy? I mean, it it feels like he's only 28, and he's just figuring out how great he can be. It's in play, Luke.
0: It's in play, but that's a big ask. Not because Sergio doesn't have a great record. He does. But, like, here's the other part, too. Pettis is still living. Maybe it was a curse more than anything else. But he's still living in the, like, this is the dude on the Wheaties box, you know? Um Pettis, Sergio Pettis is a while from that. It's not, this was, dude, this is such a quality win if he can get it that I think then at that point you begin to be like, okay, let's actually compare the resumes. And maybe they're not the same, but you, know, you, you enter a different territory of the conversation. But in terms of like widespread acclaim, I think actually Sergio Pettis has a lot of work to do.
1: Luke, I gave you the sneaky Spike Carlisle. Bellator debut as something to watch for. Do you have anything to offer the fans? Is it a Kyle Crutchmer, Oliver, and Camp matchup? What on this card will have you tuning in before the main event interested and excited?
0: Candidly, I don't love a whole lot about the card. There are some interesting uh, fighters on there. Alex, um, uh, I, I can't pronounce it right. Shabli, Shabili, the Russian guy who's twenty and three, a sort of a hot prospect at one hundred and fifty-five pounds. By the way, a guy who was cut from the UFC but very, very competitive in close fights. Kai Kamaka is yes, making his hats. Bellator. With yeah, he's got the best ta- the best tats in maybe all of MMA. He's just got tremendous, tremendous work uh, out of extreme couture. He was in the fights that he ultimately lost. Very, very talented. But, dude, it's got to be the co-main event. Also out of extreme couture, Jeremy Kennedy taking on Emmanuel Sanchez. Manuel Sanchez... You know, he got blown out by Pitbull in the semis of that uh, Grand Prix. This dude can fight. He is so, so talented. And Jeremy Kennedy is no slouch himself. 16-3 and record. Has fought very, very good guys. I think it's a tough fight for Kennedy, but I do think it's winnable. And in either case, Emmanuel Sanchez still... I'm not saying he has to prove he can get finishes or something like that, B.C., uh, I don't think it's quite, like, as starkly laid out as that. But I will say that, like, if he can add to the resume of, like, now I can reliably be trusted to finish off opponents that are not as good as me, that would only hasten his his chances to get back at a title opportunity. It's a
1: sneaky make-or-break fight, fight for him because, okay, he lost to Patricio in the rematch, but then he lost to Mads Burnell in a competitive fight, Luke, so he could use a big win to, to remain in that greater title picture overall.
0: Yes, me. and then, but Mads Burnell also, like, criminally underrated and can wrestle his ass off. Cara, uh, Kennedy can wrestle. By no means a slouch on the mat. Probably not as, like, chain wrestling, grappling position ability oriented, I should say, as Mads Burnell. It doesn't, it doesn't quite have that.
1: All right, also boxing this weekend, we hit the storylines earlier in the week, but it goes down to Vegas at the MGM Grand Unbeaten WBC Lightweight Champion, Devin Haney. Just 23 years old, one of the most promising, well-rounded, skilled young fighters in this game, taking on a hungry former two-division champion, Joseph Diaz Jr., a southpaw who brings the action. Kim Box, he was an Olympian, but he's known for that aggressiveness. Luke, I expect this to be a fun matchup, especially considering Devin Haney in that step-up fight against Jorge Linares that we mentioned earlier in the week, his last time out, looked amazing for 10 rounds and then really had to hang on late. When he got that chin tested, the overall storyline though is that lightweight title picture. And the fact that George Cambosos is the new unlikely King with three or four titles. The only title he does not have is around the waist of Devin Haney. Cambosos has said, look, Haney's the front runner. I want to do it in Australia in front of 80,000 in a soccer stadium or rugby stadium, whatever the hell you guys play there down under full respect. But uh, Haney said, look, I want that fight too. So look, we know the potential stakes right here. But I got to give some respect, which people think I did not give to Cambosos because we spent so much time on the storyline of Teofimo's uh, potential freefall, which was warranted editorially on our end. But since that victory, Cambosos has done nothing but keep himself in the public eye. I don't know who he's using as a PR agent, but Luke, he's been interviewed by every single media outlet and show essentially except for us. And he's really got his face and name out there. And I saw Lou DeBella tweet that they're going to have Cambosas Saturday night ringside for this Haney Diaz fight in Vegas, and then the next night ringside in LA for the Javante Davis fight. So it's a potential tryout for both Davis and Haney to try to get that fight. But I also got to give Cambosis credit, Luke. Um, this is the way to stay known heading into trying to cash in on your biggest payday. I,
0: I will say it, dude. We were wrong about George Cambosis's chances, and we were wrong about who he is as a person. He fought superbly against Lopez. Um, there's no denying that. And he has played the win about as well as a human being can play it, both in terms of asserting what he always knew to be true to make his story likable. He worked hard for it, and he is like, buddy— you want to talk about striking when the iron is hot. This is the way to do it. He has shaken that division up in the most interesting of ways. I don't know how long he'll be a player. We'll have to see. You know, it's a tough division to be a player in at the at the at the pace and the place he is. But, dude, he has my respect. This guy is not taking his foot off the gas. And I honestly can't wait to see. Like, do I expect Davis to beat Haney ultimately? Probably not, right? I think probably Haney is going to get his hand raised here. But George has just, his win has made us rethink all the different possibilities of what could happen and what could be coming and going and, and who's up and who's down and what might be interesting and what is inevitable and what is not inevitable. I, I love what he's bringing to the table here. He's making a fight that seemed a little bit ho-hum, candidly, a lot more interesting now that he's there.
1: And when he can offer the potential of a full stadium like that in Australia, where they are, as we already know, you know, die hard for combat sports. We've seen some of the biggest crowds in UFC history down under. Uh, We've seen Manny Pacquiao and Jeff Horn in front of that giant stadium. So that would be a fun event. But first, Haney's got to get past Diaz. And, Luke, with what we talked about, I mean, Haney is so damn skilled in every category. we got to really find out here. Was that a hiccup against Linares? Does he have the chin, the backbone? I believe Joseph Diaz is going to try to find that out. He has sort of, you know, evolved out of being a pure boxer. I know this week he talked up about, hey, don't forget me. I'm a great boxer. Well, dude, you're a good boxer. You're not outboxing, Devin Haney. Your chance to do it, in my opinion, is for Diaz to get inside, take chances, and make this a fight. Because, Luke, Haney is so skilled. We saw it against Yuriorka Scamboa when he got booed that he can outbox you from distance in the most boring fashion possible and not get touched. Haney is that quick, smart, and just, you know, technically flawless. He's also going to have a seven-inch reach advantage right. over JoJo I so Diaz I so glad here, you brought that up, yes. Which is monster. So, Luke, if I'm Joseph Diaz, I've got to be willing to get knocked out to try to win this fight because we're talking about, is Javante in the sweepstakes for Cambosas? Is Ryan Garcia? Hey, guys, how about JoJo Diaz? If he comes out here and upsets Devin Haney, he may put himself right in that mix.
0: He's got some nice wins. JoJo does. The Tevin Farmer win stands out. The Javier Fortuna win stands out. But with all due respect to Fortuna and and Farmer, I I have great respect for both of them as boxers. They are very, very good. Haney, if he's operating at his distance, is better than both of them. I mean, by a considerable margin at that. Um, Listen, JoJo Diaz can win this fight, but if he can't get on the inside... He cannot win this fight. It is just as simple as that. You just you don't have to be a boxing expert b c at all. Go type in you know the Diaz highlights here for him and see what comes up. And all of it is him, it, it, not quite phone booth all the time, but really kind of close range, uh head to head sometimes, shoulder to shoulder, real inside fighting kind of stuff. He's not going to be the stick and move operator that, De- that uh, Devin Haney is going to try to be for long stretches of this fight. But, as you indicated, against Linares, you know, he got tagged with one, and then the legs went whoop, and you were like, well, wait a second. So, it will be interesting to the extent that JoJo Diaz can make it interesting, but that is, I'll make it as simple as I can. If he can't get inside that reach, it is not a winnable contest for him, period.
1: Haney has had problems comparative to the other four princes, To look at you know super exciting and sometimes it's because he's so skilled he can just do it boring and and get it done but luke you know if you're just comparing skills between ryan garcia teofimo gervante and now devin haney hey haney might be palm for palm the most skilled so the pedigree is there for him to be a superstar but you got to win these tests i'm very much looking forward to this fight on saturday it's on the zone and to see if diaz can push that pressure but the pick has to go with haney because of the skills the reach Vegas has minus 600 for Haney, plus 425 for Joseph Diaz. So, as you mentioned, if things go right for Diaz, he is very skilled and tough. And, look, I kind of like Diaz's public rebrand. He kind of came up as, like, Golden Boy Jr. He was promoted by Oscar De La Hoya. He was a fresh-faced, good-looking kid. Have you noticed he's now going with the trucker hat and the neck tats and, like, the tough guy goatee? I kind of like the look, look.
0: What what is your opinion? What would it take for you to get a neck tattoo?
1: Probably probably a prison sentence, uh, but uh, you know that's fine, right? So <laughs> if, know, I I get come... a neck,
0: if I get a neck tattoo in the next five years, because I do like neck ta- neck tattoos, would you disown me?
1: I wouldn't because obviously the stigma has changed. But you know, when you grew up in the nineties, if you saw somebody with a tattoo on their hand or their neck,
0: yeah. You know, that you, was, you'd be that wondering was, that was you're either a Crip, a Blood, or yeah. you know, in the Aryan Nation. That was it. You've
1: definitely done time. The only question is, are you going to stab me? That's real. That was what it used to be. Now that's it's fair. hip and cool, and and you know, for chicks, it, even I, I guess. But uh, do like...
0: has do has his whole neck blasted, and also like the under part of his jaw, like it doesn't come so over the looks jaw. It like a beard. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like an under beard. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. It, it, it's
0: interesting. I like it. I like it.
1: Luke, I do have to get over the hurdle of my hatred of needles and, and just the whole, you know, like, I you know, I'm really bad at giving blood. And, you know, you can say what you want about me. That's fine. Luke, we all have dark holes, right? Spiders, black licorice, needles. I can't, I can't do it, Luke. I'm sorry, all right? It's,
0: just, it's, not, that, you know, it's you, not that bad. You, once you get your MK tattoo, you'll realize it's not that big a deal.
1: And then I'll, then I'll just go for it, right?
0: That's right. Then you're going to get your whole shit blasted and you're going to look like, you know, Stitches, the wrapper. The How much would it Florida? cost me
1: to get a sleeve on one arm? From a decently skilled guy.
0: Uh, I can give you a rough estimate. So I would say from a decently skilled guy.
1: Yeah, and remember, I'm cheap. I'm really cheap, Luke. Okay, you know that. $4,000? I'm
0: not 000? used
1: to having money, okay? I'm, I'm a cheap
0: bastard. About $4,000, probably. Yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not doing
1: that, Luke. All right, I'm
0: not. It's less the money. It's more the fact you might have to sit in a chair for 18 to 24 hours. That would be the, the issue.
1: Can I get blasted beforehand or that's not safe right
0: uh it's not safe but you can the, the, here, here's one thing i got tattoos in my 20s when they didn't have Well, what they had is i didn't know about it but now do they've got no- in fact hold on i think i have some, yeah so now they have numbing cream this is one that i i've only used it for this tattoo i tried it out i didn't I, I didn't apply it very well so it didn't work that well but where it did work it was pretty interesting uh you can get numbing cream like this Right there, TXTK is the one. It's from China, so it probably isn't safe. It probably gave me COVID and Ebola at the same time. I have no idea. But what you can do is you can, if you apply it properly. I've seen guys put it on their neck and then like their legs, for example, for like big, big pieces, and they didn't feel a thing for as long as they were in there. So you can do that now. You can take the, you can take the pussy. What was route. more culturally
1: inappropriate? Me assuming that when you had malaria in Egypt that the only toilets was a hole in the ground. Are you saying that uh, that Chinese numbing cream will give you the Omicron?
0: Uh, it's not Omicron, it's Omicron. Uh, there's, no, there's no N behind the M. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Luke Fauci.
1: Uh, hey, Luke, what... Well, so like a Greek letter, I mean... If I'm going to get teeth pulled, they can put me out. And, you know, I'm trusting my body with the doctors while I'm out. Why can't... T- tell me the science. Why can I not say, I want a full sleeve for 4K, but I don't want to feel that shit, so just put me out?
0: Well, I don't think they can give you anesthesia, number one. Uh, you have to be an anesthesiologist for that. And number two, could they give you, and it takes time, like could they give you anesthesia anest- anesthetics for 24 hours? I think you'd die.
1: I think people do that. It's called illegal drugs, Klonopins. You know, you could be out for three <laughs> days, Luke, right?
0: Hey, I've taken It was a fun ride, but I wouldn't want to get tatted on it.
1: All I'm saying is that sounds like a business proposal. If you're a tattoo artist and your friend is a, is a doctor who has access to a uh, yeah, why don't you just merge businesses, Luke? There, there you go, all right? Uh,
0: yeah, I'm sure people have thought of this before, but it sounds like a bad idea.
1: All right, all right. Let's close with quick hitters as we do in our fifth topic every Friday. Luke, I will read some news, and you'll tell me your reaction to them. We'll start in the UFC. Um, our producer writes, Aspen Ladd is heading to Bantamweight. She's always been at Bantamweight, Luke. The problem is, is she heading to Featherweight? But as she told MMA Junkie, I talking about Misha Tate, I think Misha's definitely stirred the pot quite a bit. We all have life experiences, right? But without knowing what's happened to another person, you can't just apply, like, your triggers and what's wrong with you to them. She has a tendency to see the world through what's happened to her in the past. I don't want to talk S, but I definitely want that fight. You said some things, Misha. Let's go handle it like adults here. Luke, um, is she leaving Bantamweight? Did, did Mikey get the headline wrong here? Is she going to featherweight? She probably should, Luke. You... You passed out on a scale twice in four fights, you probably should move up, right?
0: Uh, yeah, but I think if she wants Misha Tate, it's only gonna happen at one thirty five, so All right. Um, Tate just
1: lost a five rounder, Luke. She's probably gonna be looking for names moving forward. Do you like this fight?
0: I do, but remember when Aspen Ladd got grilled in her corner by her cornerman, it was Misha Tate who came out and had a lot to say about it on the radio show on Sirius XM and social media and other places i guess aspen lad caught wind of it and now wants i guess to avenge it actually makes it work for a decent kind of you know get back scrap for both of them i actually like it a lot so yeah let's make that fight
1: i like when there's something salty to talk
0: about heading into a fight right luke you you, it's about the only thing you like but yes
1: if i could write their material i'd I'd get aspen going on that atv that caraway stole i'd get i get all the you know yeah man (laughs) all right Hey, John Jones, Luke, uh, had an explosive, uh, you had explosive diarrhea last week. John Jones had an explosive few days on Twitter taking out his wrath on former coach Mike Winklejohn. Luke, I believe we have the tweets to throw up. There's about, you know, 86 of them over 48 hours. But essentially, Coach Winklejohn went on national TV and told his side of the story. And John has called them everything was like, from Let me ask a question
0: here. When he says national TV, does he just mean Ariel's show?
1: I think so. I mean, you know, internet is the new TV of the future, Luke, right?
0: No, no, I understand. I I understand what he meant, but I'm just trying to clarify. Like, did he go on Oprah or some shit? And, like, I didn't hear or whatever. Like, is somebody's podcast? I don't know. Yeah, I
1: mean, look, you know, John grew up the same era we did, Luke, okay? He's, you know, whatever. But Winkle John, who, by the way, if you don't, if you were sleeping, said that John Jones can no longer train at their gym after the most recent arrest. Excuse me. John Jones, though, just took coach Greg Jackson and the other assistants and went to a satellite gym. But Luke uh, Jones is very upset. And in fact, he is threatening to air Winkle John's dirty laundry moving forward. Um, just keep playing these tweets in the background. You know, I think people are expecting us to tee up the pinata and you to just hammer at Luke. But what was your reaction to uh, old bony getting this upset?
0: What stage of uh, therapy and getting right with your life is assassinating the character of old coaches on social media. I don't know what stage of actual therapeutic help that one is in. I've never heard of it. This is what I mean. It's like, dude, I don't give a fuck about this. Honestly, you know, this is like, I'm not saying that there are no merits to his claim or that in every case, if he feels wrong, he certainly is uh, allowed as an adult to say what he wants doesn't look to me like there's a real uh, a whole, uh, I, the guy kicked him out of a gym let's be clear about this he kicked him out of or or suspended him or whatever language you want to use because John was accused by law enforcement of um, you know hitting a uh, his head went on the car of a vehicle and then being intoxicated and there were at least some seemingly uh, credible allegations in the course of this that he may have put his hands on his significant other, and, and you know you can go from there. You can all read the police report and listen to the 911 call yourself. He is reacting to that. I heard Winkle John's interview with Ariel. It is about as tepid and um, reasonable, quite frankly, as a person could be in that situation. That's not to say that the totality of anyone's life isn't filled with hypocrisies. John could be well right, but it's like, dude, if you're out there tweeting about this, like, what stage of recovery is this? Yeah, this well, is, this do... is not anything uh, related to recovery. So, you know, he's his own man. He can do it. But I don't care about anything he says until there is evidence he actually is taking his situation seriously in terms of recovery. And I don't see a shred of evidence of that happening.
1: Jones accused Wink of running off every one of Greg Jackson's original fighters. I can't think of a ve- Jackson's veteran that still talks with this asshole. But he spelled asshole as two words. <A-S-S-2> he S- <S-2> also misspelled his <S-2> own name. O-L-E, asshole, like the whole ass, not the whole, but the whole ass, which was great. And then he said, look, Winkster, spending me from the team changed nothing, which we already knew. Just don't go on TV and pretend to give a shit about someone who has made you so much money over the years, giving you so many world championships, and then behind closed doors secretly try to crush them. Real douchebag move, Mike. We literally had a convicted rapist training on the team for years, and now all of a sudden, Mike has morals? Get out of here. Luke, that part rubbed me the wrong way, to be fair, all right? Now we're comparing sins, Luke?
0: Yeah, again, what part of recovery is assassinating the character of your coach on social media after they kick you out of a gym for your own misconduct? Again, this is is just all theater, and it means nothing.
1: Let's say we announce that next week we will have an exclusive one-on-one interview done by Luke Thomas who would be the most who? Which guests do you think the fans would be most surprised at? I'll give you a list here, okay? John Jones, mm-hmm. Dana White, mm-hmm. Conor McGregor, Joanna okay. Young Jacek. Which <laughs> of the four, if we announced, hey, you're not going to want to miss this exclusive one on one Luke Thomas sits down with, which one would they be most surprised at?
0: Okay, hold on. Let me parse this question a little bit. Are you asking which interview would generate the most amount of attention or are you asking which one as the fans read the who's on there which one would generate the most genuine now that could surprise it
1: could be mutually exclusive depending on the name but both is what i'm asking
0: probably john jones probably probably but i i mean my level of interest in talking to him is less than zero so
1: i was hoping for Ioana. really to be fair.
0: that that would be number two that would be number two I also have less than zero interest in talking to, but um, yeah, probably those two. Dana White, I've actually interviewed before, and you know, it was a long time ago. But th- yeah, know, but would it, you go
1: to bat against Dana and protect me, like you failed to do in the face of Josh Thompson Floyd Mayweather? I didn't think, dude, you are Juan a little Archuleta. soft about
0: that. I didn't think you needed, like, uh, you know, you're a big boy. You don't need me to like fight your battles for you. But if Dana did, came after you, I get your
1: back when the punk. Did that ill-timed mom joke? All right, I did get you back. Okay,
0: I yeah, did drive you to the ER that time. I mean, I in left way you way at the ER,
1: but I did drive you to the ER. At
0: least. You <laughs> you t- well, well, the- oh, they actually kicked you out of the ER. To your defense, they were like, "Get the fuck out, you yeah. little prick." <laughs>
1: yeah, you little prick. uh Speaking of Dana White, Luke, unfortunately, he has contracted COVID nineteen. I'm not sure if it's the uh the Omnitron version or not, but Luke, he spoke the to the Megatron gym- He spoke to the Jim Rome podcast. And he said that he did cold plunge and steam every day. And then he picked up his phone and called one Joe Rogan noted scientist, doctor and COVID expert. And here's the quote from Dana. Joe said, as soon as you get up in the morning, get tested. So I get up at nine on Monday, I get tested. I test positive. He said, get monoclonal antibodies as soon as possible. I did by noon. I had them. And then he told me to do a NAD drip. I did that. I get up Tuesday getting ready to shave. I clean my razor. I could smell the alcohol. My taste and smell were back the next day by 11 a.m. Then I took a dose of ivermectin, and then I did a vitamin drip, and then today I did another NAD drip. Could not feel any better. Feel like a million bucks. I'm doing two-a-day workouts, by the way, for the next 10 days while I have COVID. I'm in quarantine. I can smell and taste, and I got them back in less than 24 hours. End quote Luke, there should be lines of people now in Austin, Texas, uh lining up outside Joe's studio to get cured, correct?
0: Yeah, if you're if you have uh, a ton of money and access to uh unproven drugs by what all- What is means, an
1: NAD drip, Luke?
0: I'm not entirely sure. Um, yeah. you know, listen, I'll say this for Dana. He's vaccinated, he'll be fine, you know.
1: Okay. Should we should we Look at this as proof, though, that that Joe is a leading expert? Yes, we Uh, should
0: always look at uh, anecdotal evidence for which there is no large-scale support as proof of things because it confirms our priors rather than looking at the body of work, which shows that much of the stuff that, um, at least in the case of ivermectin, there is no good evidence whatsoever that it does anything. The jury is still out. We don't really have a full uh, grasp of the issue yet in fairness to it, but there is nothing currently that suggests it does anything. Uh, related to COVID.
1: Thank you. I won't, I won't poke the bear anymore.
0: Just, oh, too quick. just listen here. Here we go. Ready for everyone. Just get fucking vaccinated. It's free. What the fuck? I got are the you booster,
1: booster. Luke. I feel great.
0: Yeah. I got the booster too. It's be like, Oh, go get that booster. I'm like, motherfucker. Do you know what they shot me with when I was in the Marine Corps? I don't even know. I've got the anthrax vaccine. That took three little fucking sticks as well. You know, it, it, I don't, I have a I don't, ha- I that don't, I free. listen. Some free? people have this. I don't, and it was, yeah, you had to get the three needles with the anthrax as well. I don't have an irrational fear of vaccines that I dress up in political freedom language because I'm an adult. So for other adults out there, just go get your booster and quit being a fucking idiot about it. There you go. End of story. And Dana is vaccinated, so he'll be fine.
1: Luke, you just lost another 10% of our fan base for that rant. Thank
0: you. Good. Goodbye. I'll uh,
1: quickly here, Luke. Felicia Spencer has announced her retirement at age 31. The UFC women's featherweight is nine and three overall, was two and three in her last five since 2019, including decision defeats to Amanda Nunes and Chris Cyborg in separate title bouts. Luke, your reaction, to, or not? Sorry, the, the the Cyborg was a non-title one. You get my point. Your reaction to this? Uh,
0: I would say, um, good for her. Listen, Duke Rufus had a post on Instagram recently that sort of like succinctly put something to think about. The fight game only really works for you if you do it spectacularly, right? If you do it spectacularly, either you get a bunch of wins or a bunch of money or something. There's some kind of real spectacular dimension to your career. Then it can work for you. But if you're anything less than that, it just won't. It will be very, very brutal on you. She had, Felicia Spencer, Totally commendable ability. I think she's a black belt in jiu-jitsu as well. But she was also a math teacher. She was not doing MMA spectacularly. You cannot argue that she was. I think she realizes she was not doing it spectacularly. So while commendable and high level and certainly achieved some noteworthy things in her life... The, there was no way this was going to go in a spectacular direction. Time to do something else in her life. She's obviously quite smart, quite rational. I commend her on a great career, and I commend her on whatever she does next. I'm sure she has a thoughtful plan for her future.
1: Oh, that was very well said, Luke. You said uh, – wh- what did you say you, you tend to get um... – I forgot already. All right. Yeah. You're not <laughs> Let's just read the
0: odds again that I can repeat.
1: Yeah. Yeah, please. I just – I think I just died. Uh, one more real quick, Luke. Jeff Neal, the UFC welterweight, who does return, by the way, or, or we I don't know if he will return at UFC 269 next week. He spends Thanksgiving in jail after being arrested on DWI and weapons charges in Texas. Luke, yeah. there was a time we thought he was maybe the next big thing at welterweight. This has been a tough run. Remember, he was working a regular job during COVID, and then he had, had some losses, which he wasn't so focused in. And Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean... Sounds like there might be some problems. You know, uh, he's if you're still
1: on the fight card to take on Santiago Ponzanibio, I don't know if this will pull him off, Luke, since UFC doesn't really have uh Let me ask rules. you,
0: BC. Let me ask you, should it? Like, and here's what I mean. I'm not saying the UFC has to look at this like we are your dads and moms yeah. and we're going to punish you. I don't mean that way. But what I mean is, like, dude, fighting is fucking dangerous. And do you want a guy going in there who's literally been in. Uh, you know, a jail cell for being drunk, uh, you know, 10 days out from a fight. Like, do you do you want that? I don't know if you want that.
1: No, he's going to have legal fees. He's going to need the money, Luke.
0: Ugh, That's what Dana would say.
1: Uh,
0: Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah.
1: All right, Luke, let's keep the show rolling. Every Friday we do. Uh, this great little segment, morningcombat at gmail.com is the email where we stand up to our critics, to our accusers. Look, we're not always perfect. We speak into a microphone for sometimes upwards of 12 hours per week. We're going to say some shit that's wrong. You have a chance as the fan to call us out on it, but you better give receipts. This segment's called Dead Wrong. Uh, uh, uh,
0: uh. I had to eat a shit sandwich when you were gone before Thanksgiving. Hey, did you
1: see that graphic just froze, Luke? This is a great show today. Everything's working out great. Yeah, great. That's, that's- they <laughs> were still working right now. All right. Hey, are Luke. you mad about it? I can't tell. Yeah, normally that's you who gets very frustrated. I saw your meltdown yesterday on your live chat. Oh God. Sorry, sorry to see that. I didn't cheer, Luke. I'm not taking pleasure in,
0: in. Nah, listen. You do listen. You live a life in public. You're gonna live embarrassments in public, and I've been living a number of them. I've lived them public and private, Luke. I've been all over yeah. the map. All right.
1: Let's take some L's. This one's from Callum on Friday. The 12th of November, when talking about Canelo's pay-per-view record, BC once again forgets about the $1 million buy rate that Canelo produced for his fight against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., making Canelo versus Plant Alvarez's 5th highest high-selling pay-per-view. BC has done this before in an episode over one year ago where I dead-wronged him then. <laughs> but hey, when you're the American Alpha stats are for nerds they are bro. that's right uh, what are you some kind of stat guy i mean you know what you, yeah they are for nerds oh, i'm sorry i did screw up i tend to always forget a that the chavez fight happened because chavez jr just mailed that one in and b that it did hit the right fan base and, and produced one million buys you know i mean that 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 worked out well even though the fight. well we also up.
0: know bc that marlon Moraes was a previous ufc bantamweight yeah. champion that's a fact that will just live forever you know what i'm saying
1: absolutely Absolutely. All right, let's keep it going. This one's from Christopher from L.A. Wow, my favorite city. Greetings. I've got an indisputable dead wrong this week for the king of the donks, B.C. Wow, they're coming at me here, Luke. On Friday's episode 228, around the 1 hour and 40 minute mark, B.C. mentions the disgusting sounding Arby's French fry flavored vodka. The edibles he took before the show must have finally started to kick in (laughs) because he says that the vodka is, quote, 800 proof. ABC, hey 800-proof vodka would literally burst into flames as soon as oxygen touched it. I don't even think 800-proof is scientifically possible, it's you, not. Silly, you silly teenager in a 60-year-old man's body. You must have been referring to the standard 80-proof ABV content that we see at the local 7-Eleven or anywhere that sells fine booze. Of all people to confuse their alcohol serving sizes, the last person I'd predict making the mistake would be you, B.C., Keep up the great work. You guys better drink this shit on air when it's available. Chris from L.A. I take the L there, Chris. All right? I take the L. Thank you. All right. Let's keep it going. We still have to
0: have the Arby's vodka, by the way.
1: We do, on air. No question about it. Uh, Jordan slides in at episode 228 at the 14-minute mark. In discussing Max Holloway closing in on 3,000 total strikes for his career, BC mentions that Max joined the UFC, quote, as a teenager bc you're close but no cigar max debuted on february 4th 2012 as a short notice replacement for ricardo lamas when he was aged 20 and two months against dustin Poirier, and max lost via mounted triangle armbar luke i remember that i remember he was on um do you remember that great show espn mma live remember that, that great i do
0: business? quite people forget a brief, that I but was... important
1: run yeah, I was an I was an editor on that show. I, I I edited all the lower the lower third graphics and also Luke, remember the great uh, Franklin McNeil?
0: I was about to say that's the uh, the show that Franklin McNeil and Gareth Davies b- uh, built.
1: Do you know who's who's uh who, who's who made that hire possible? My boss walked by Port. You know our guy Port. He's like, Hey, BC, find me an analyst. I'm like, This boxing guy Franklin McNeil's great, and 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 you know the rest is history, Luke. Okay, all right. Just,
0: where is Franklin McNeil these days? Do you know?
1: You know, I know he was he was doing some uh, editing the last few years, but I think he's transitioning out of the business. You know, he's closer to retirement age now. Uh, always been a big fan of that guy. Loved his boxing coverage back in the day, and uh, wish him well. But Luke, we they had Max Holloway on there when he was basically a teenager. I remember that early on, and uh, that show was awesome. It produced. Did you think about who that produced, Luke? John Anik, Zach Candido, who's the t- who's the lead producer on the UFC fight cards. Molly Karam, you know, the, the, the co-host of First Take, right? Rashad Evans made his TV bones there. Uh, Kenny Florian. You used to have Pat Miletic come in? Yeah, man. Oh? No? Okay, great. Good talking to you. All right, uh, let's keep it going here with um, Cameron says, on Monday's show around the 39-minute mark, BC says that Cynthia Calvillo won five fights in 2017 and her first four in the UFC. He's dead wrong. She fought five times in 2017, but her fifth fight was against Carla Esparza, in which she suffered her first loss. That was also mm. her first, her fourth fight in the UFC. To clarify, she won four out of five in 2017, and won her first three overall in the UFC. Okay, that's fine. I was wrong. All right. Dead wrong. So some of
0: these are not that bad. They're just sort of minor notes. All right,
1: great. Uh, let's go with the final one here, or no, not the final one. We'll keep it going. This is from Mike. How- Hola, Luke and BC. I said hi in Spanish for Luke. I know he gets a half chub. Toques. He gets a half chub whenever he hears that mystical language. Well, at two hours and eight minutes of episode 230, BC pronounces toques. Toques? Toques?
0: Toque, Toques.
1: When referring to the type of hat that should be pronounced toques. It is pronounced toque. It rhymes with smoke, as in what the hell was BC smoking? I didn't know they sell CTE cigars. Luke, <laughs> please deliver a verbal smackdown and beat some education into him. Love you guys. Mike. All right.
0: Yes. Yeah, so sometimes if I touch my wife, you know, when she's cooking and she doesn't want really to be bothered, she'll be like, no, my tokens, no, my tokens, um, get off my things. Yeah. Like, what that like don't touch me. Yeah. Don't touch okay. me. Oh, okay. um, All
1: right. You're trying to get a little spicy during the, during the, cooking I don't know day.
0: shit about the hats though. So I don't know. I don't know what the story is there.
1: Will you catch an HR case if you grab somebody in the toe to case, Luke?
0: If I grab someone in the touches, I don't know.
1: All right, wow, we got a lot of dead wrongs here. Hopefully people are still watching. Um,
0: yeah, dude, you missed, like, I mean, I'm sure I've got my fair share coming, but you missed, like, three weeks of them. You're overdue, bro. Yeah, let's
1: do it. All right, Kevin and Matt say at one hour and 19 minutes of MKI, on November 19th, Luke says, quote, since the year 2000, in the course of 11 years, Jedi Mind Tricks has put out 10 albums. That's almost mm-hmm. an album every year. Sorry to tell, Luke, but it isn't 2011 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess they're right, Luke, right? Okay, fair point. Okay, take that L.
0: <laughs> yes, um, giant fat L for your guy. That's hilarious and also quite true, yes.
1: Luke, this one is from David Appleton, our favorite rapey French uh, professor. You know this guy, right?
0: Uh-huh. uh-huh,
1: uh-huh, yes. Hi, Luke. A second dead wrong from old French Dave. In your Monday show with Oscar, you said you couldn't wait till Brian came back to have three weeks of dead wrongs. I would venture that as he isn't hosting the show. It is hard for us to dead wrong him unless you are giving us an open invitation to dead wrong his very existence and lifestyle, which could be absolutely fucking amazing. Yours pedantically, David A. Does that make any sense, Luke?
0: I don't know what the fuck this French frog is talking about. So I'll just say this. (laughs) You're welcome for the, you know, freedom fries, fuckhead.
1: All right. He, he woke up with many a student in his bed, Luke. The only problem is they were bound and chained. That's the problem. All right. Uh, let's keep this going. This is from Jordan. At 141 of episode 234, and have you seen the shit? Ryan flipped the two fighters in the suplex highlight, Soriano versus Norden Bike. It was the Chinese fighter, Norden B.A.K., who suplexed Soriano, not the other way around. Okay. I'll take that out. That's fine.
0: All right. That's fair. That's fair.
1: And finally, Luke, this one's from David, the donk from the shithole that is New Zealand. That's his words, by the way. Uh, At 31 minutes of the Monday weekend recap, the big BC with the BDE incorrectly said Luke Thomas has a city kicking boner from here to Adelaide. The problem is Adelaide is in Australia, you donk. Auckland would have been the better option since that is where CKB is actually based. Okay, that's fair.
0: All right, that's a, that's a. I mean, that's not so much you're wrong, but that's a better way to say it. I think. Yeah, I think I mean, he is right about that. It's
1: just a play on word. Yeah, whatever. Okay, but he does have a very big CKB. There's <laughs> no question. Luke loves those guys. All right. Thank you for sending those in. Morningcombat at gmail dot com. Some people still don't know how we do it on the show. Maybe we have new listeners, but if you want to do a DM from Donk on Monday, guys, Sunday night on Instagram, we put that yes. post out. You have to reply to the Instagram post at Morning Combat every Sunday night. That's DM from Donks. Everything else, Morning Combat at gmail.com. Don't DM us. I'm not taking your submissions that way anymore, all right? No, no no mas. No no stick picks. Luke, we close every Friday by touching the tips, telling people what to look out for this weekend. We call it Just the tip.
0: Tip to tip. Just tips. Some shit.
1: Oh, they're not going to play the intro because the, uh, the files are acting up. Oh, there we go.
0: I guess they hey, are. Hey, there we go. They got it. They got it. it All right, fast. Luke,
1: um, you know, what do you got this week? What should people be on the lookout for? Uh,
0: well, I'll give you my tip, and then I have a question for you, BC. Okay? So here's my tip. I finally, 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 finally went to the movie theater for the first time in two years. I hadn't gone since the pandemic, and I saw the new Marvel movie, Eternals. Here's my tip. Do not fucking see this piece of shit movie. (laughs) This is unequivocally, and I have Disney Plus, and I've seen them all, this is the worst Marvel movie of them all, and by a considerable distance, right? It's two hours and 40 minutes, and it doesn't need to be. There are parts of it that are interestingly shot and presented, but in general, it doesn't need to be as long as it is. That's the first problem. Second problem is none of the characters are especially interesting, and the ones who are kind of die, basically. On top of that, the villains in this movie are poorly thought out and not interesting. The plot is extremely convoluted or just unnecessarily uh, loaded with nonsense that doesn't need to be there. There are characters that don't need to be there. And the worst part, well not the worst part, but one of the stupider parts is, like dude, the whole part about the Marvel Universe and comic books is of course you want to get to see... Different kinds of people and different kinds of powers and different kinds of worlds, including one in our own. This is not in any way an anti-diversity argument. In fact, it's quite the opposite. When Black Panther came out and they built this world of Wakanda, who had this vibranium and they kept it to themselves and they shielded it from the world and it totally produces interesting people and then they brought you into that world and into that life, it was fucking amazing. Black Panther is a great Marvel movie. It's fantastic, even, right? I can't recommend it more. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's phenomenal. But this one was not that. This one seemed to me like they had a studio executive team being like, you know what, we got to make sure that we're especially making sure we like shove, like we want to make diversity a part of the cast in such a way that we're fulfilling studios needs, not like the creative ambition of the actual story. And so they have thrust together a cast that has no chemistry whatsoever because they're trying to be as like, the maximally diverse in the most inauthentic of ways, and it just fails miserably the entire time. Dude, this movie sucked. I don't think it sucked like Man of Steel sucked or like Batman versus Superman sucked, but it sucked. It is a complete waste of your time. Do not go. Now, BC, <laughs> with that in mind, I do have a question for you. Yeah. My daughter, who you might hear rampaging like Godzilla through the streets of Tokyo behind me, has never been to a movie theater. This new movie that is out from Disney, which is really well reviewed, which takes place in, you know, their version of Columbia called Encanto, is getting it's getting rave reviews. My family wants to go. My daughter's two and a half. Do you think that's a good idea? Can she handle an hour and forty minutes of a movie without ruining it and shitting her pants?
1: It's about a fifty-fifty. It really is. Like, you have to be prepared that, that one of you will spend the whole time outside or whatever. It, it, or that she'll be screaming randomly because it's yeah. dark and she's scared. That's an age where you're you're gambling. I mean, you might be, depending on your child, you're gambling almost as high as age four and five in the movie theater, you know? Some just yeah. stick to it like water, Luke, right? But um, I think All it's right. worth a gamble. Your family loves Latin American-based Disney cartoon movies. Loves that shit.
0: Yeah, dude, we don't we watch Coco in Spanish here. We don't even watch it in English. Wow,
1: that's hardcore, right there. All
0: right. But dude, I, I told we so. Hold on, last thing I'll say in this is uh, they there's this traveling like Van Gogh exhibit that's going city to city, and we bought tickets for this. We had to buy tickets for this like months in advance, and it was finally here. And we took our daughter, bro. She ruined the whole shit. I mean, just ruined it for us. Screaming, crying, shitting, throwing. We couldn't enjoy any part of the exhibit and we had to leave. It was a nightmare. So now I'm like, do we take, like, because what I want is for her first big screen movie experience, I want it to be in Canto, but I have a feeling it, it ain't going to be, so we'll see. I
1: grew up going to the movie theaters in Waterbury, Connecticut, Luke, which is, you know, far from the <laughs> nicest city in the world. And uh, going to like, you know, as a teenager, horror movies at midnight and people bringing their... Newborn babies to those and like them oh, crying God. in the back. Like, come on. Like, don't. Bring, if your kid, if you know your kid's not ready, do not bring them to the theater at all. Okay, just wait. Why we have big screen TVs and DVRs and all that crap? All right. That's my exactly. service message. Hey, I got it in the moment. Dead wrong here, Luke. We can save for next week. Our producer Mikey Mormile has corrected me. I forgot that Ashman Ladd had already moved up to featherweight, made her debut against Norma Dumont in October, and is now coming back down to bantamweight.
0: Ah, uh, there for- you go
1: for the threat of fighting Misha Tate. All right, Luke, my tip is probably what people are talking a lot about these days, the very well-acclaimed Peter Jackson Get Back documentary series on Disney+. Plus. So if you don't know what this is, here's the deal. When the Beatles went to the studio in 1969 to try to record and write songs for what became the album Let It Be, um, there was a documentary crew filming every bit of it. It ended up becoming, when the recording fell apart, an album that came out a year later after they had already broken up and it turned into a documentary of the same name that was okay but not great well peter jackson and company have gone back and found every piece of footage from that session and turned it into a three-part eight hour documentary now here's mm. the deal if you are a beatles hardcore like myself like i uh, like luke thomas and i've talked about in the past this could be for you if you are this is in very much some inside look at the band that we've never really seen at this level before. Portions of this shoot have come out before, whether it be the Let It Be Doc or even the Beatles Anthology documentary series that came out, but not at this detail, at this length. So you get to see in reality TV voyeurism an inside look at the dynamics between band members as the band was falling apart because George was rising as a songwriter and wanted more you know, opportunity. Paul was kind of... You know, the leader and he was very prolific, but maybe not letting George get his cut of the pie. John was in and out and unreliable and was not getting along with everybody. You get to see the dynamics between them and Yoko. It's a very interesting look, but it is for hardcores only. It's long. I'm only about a third of the way through it. And even I at times have to bite down and focus. But Luke, for a band that, you know, has had a million things written and shot and produced about them. This is like a almost like a relic in time that at this level has never really been swam through. Now, that doesn't mean that the audio tracks haven't been out before. You could buy, you know, at bootleg record stores the full get it, get back or let it be sessions, but never connecting it to the video like this at this production level. It is such a fascinating look because let's remember this was, you know, a year before they broke up when tensions were high and the marriage was dissolving. Um, I could not recommend it more if you are hardcore and that's your thing.
0: I, do you know Questlove, the drummer for the band The Roots? Yes. He has been raving about it on social media, like as an insight into how quickly sometimes the most inspired Beatles songs came together and then oh, other yeah. ones were sort of tortured They took forever. And
1: I mean, you can it, watch Paul when they're, like, you know, they're finishing lunch and he's got a guitar and he's just kind of figuring something out and then you're like, wait, that's Get Back or that's, you know, the long and winding road on piano. Like, that's crazy. And then you watch them kind of figure it out in the moment. And, you know, there's been a lot of rumors that during that time, John and Yoko were heroin addicts. And John, to some degree, has confirmed that years later. But it's a very interesting portrait. It doesn't make Yoko look as bad as her reputation is for breaking up the band, quote, unquote. But it's an interesting look at where John was emotionally, Luke, which was it didn't seem to be in a great place.
0: Well, I haven't watched the documentary, but you're not the first person to say that its if you're a Beatles fan or a music fan that it's must watch. And Peter Jackson, he doesn't do anything that's not of epic scale, so I, I trust your recommendation here.
1: Yeah, and, and even the parts, because the, they have the audio, but it doesn't always match up with the video. But they did a great job of taking video that isn't perfect, but it looks like they could be mm. having that conversation. So it, it's, it's really brilliantly you know, edited and, and, and produced in that way. So uh, Cool, man. Telling the story of, of of the tail end of you know really the the most successful greatest. Luke, what's your favorite Beatles album? We need to do a a, a pull a out special. Oof.
0: Um. Jesus, that's a tough one. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to say Sergeant Pepper's. Uh,
1: nah, don't. Um. Don't, you, you don't actually mean that though. See, that, that disappointed me, Luke. The only time the only way I think but I'm not, I'm, but I'm not like
0: I'm not as far inside on Beatles Mania as you are, you know, so there's okay.
1: that. I feel like like sometimes The White album, people... maybe the White Album? That's, that's I think there's three acceptable answers if you if you know your shit. The White Album because of the the volume of it, Abbey Road because it's, you know, Immaculate and it was their last time in the studio together, or Revolver, which some people like Rolling Stone have even ranked as the greatest album in mm. rock history. Um, mm. you know, you can have a favorite or whatever, but Sgt. Pepper was really of its time, Luke. If you were alive in 67 when it came out and you realized how much it changed music, I think it could be your favorite. But I don't think it holds up on a five-star level like people think, Luke. But that's maybe another nerd debate. You would know better than me. For another time. Uh, Let's put this show to bed, Luke. That's all we got for you on Friday, all right?
0: Yeah. Email us, morningcombat at gmail.com. Give us some follows on the old socials. Morning combat is involved everywhere. There will be some weekend content for you, something special for the Gervonta Davis fight, so be on the lookout for that, which, again, Sunday. Gervonta fights on Sunday. Um, Yeah, that's it for me.
1: Pettis versus Horiguchi tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern, only on Showtime, Bellator 272. Very good fight. Do not miss it. Thank you to our wonderful staff who have swam in the rough, choppy waters of Internet failures and other issues. We love you. You can get 30 days free of Showtime, of course, at Showtime.com. Thank you to our listeners who really go to bat for us on a regular basis. They'll call us out when we need it, Luke, but they are, they are some loyal P1, drive across the country, show up with a bag full of beef jerky that they made in their meth lab to give personally to you. Luke.
0: They, um, they're not yes men, but they, they, are, 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 they tell us what we need to hear when we okay. need to hear it, BC. Thank you, family. Even it if it's tough enough. love
1: be nothing without you. Uh, That's about all. Tip your waitresses. May all your ex-lovers stay satisfied.